It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey nerds, welcome to episode 483 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam today, I promised you, will be back with me on Thursday for our October preview, uh, so be sure to check that out. Uh, but super jazzed, because today's episode is an interview I did with my good buddy Sarah Faring. Uh, Sarah's first book was talked about a few years back on the podcast when I interviewed her for The 10th Girl, which is amazing. It's a psychological kind of like thriller, horror, spooky book. Um, but she has a brand new book coming out that just came out actually last week called White Fox. Uh, it is also kind of, it's almost like genre bending. It's hard to describe. It's a little bit of a mystery, a little bit of a thriller, um, a little bit of a why done it. Uh, we get into all sorts of stuff in this conversation. It's really, really fun. Uh, we start with, obviously, Sarah explaining what the book a little bit is about. Uh, you will notice at the very, very beginning, there's some weird audio that, that changes over when she describes the book. It sounds like it's a different recording. That's because it is. We had some audio issues early on and so she sent me a recording of her describing the book but then it goes right back to our normal conversation so you're not going crazy if you hear that um, but we had a really interesting conversation about uh, social media and how we depict ourselves online and how it's nowhere near our genuine selves almost ever and the expectations versus reality and um, a little bit of a, a fun joke about her being more voyeuristic than exhibitionist which made me chuckle but uh, yeah, then we, of course, get into books that we've really been enjoying and just how quarantine is going for someone like Sarah, who is very much normally a world traveler and obviously is not at the moment. So I really think you'll enjoy it. Sarah, when I interviewed her the first time back in New York City for uh, Book Con and Book Expo a few years ago, we became good buddies. So uh, it was really fun to catch up with her. And I think you can kind of tell that in this conversation that we are friendly with each other because we giggle and joke around a whole bunch. If you want to get a hold of us, you can always reach us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. That's our email. You can just go to professionalbooknerds.com, <clears throat> which is our website. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at probooknerds. Uh, if you haven't done so already, if you want to give us a quick five-star rating wherever you listen to the podcast, we very much appreciate that. Um, I think that's just about everything. I'm not going to keep you any longer. I'm going to let you get to this conversation with Sarah Faring on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new 
for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Tenth girl wrecked my life, brain, spirit. So I'm ready for it. I love to hear it. I hate to hear it, but I love to hear it. Let's okay. So, so to formally kick us off, do you want to kind of introduce White Fox and then yeah. I'll, I'll edit all this together in a way that makes sense? I would sense. love to. Okay, great. Yeah, because it's funny. You'd think that my pitching skills get better with time and experience. They do not. I just get <laughs> a little more off the walls. Uh, so White Fox opens on a mysterious Mediterranean island where a world-famous film star lives with her eccentric pharmaceutical tycoon husband, and their two young daughters. And when the girls are children, their mother disappears. And it's rumored that she left behind a final film script that could be the key to finding her. So 10 years later, after living two very different lives in Manhattan, the sisters return to the island for a retrospective celebrating their mother's work. But when they unexpectedly discover that long lost film script, a lush fairy tale titled White Fox, they're plunged into the most thrilling mystery of their lives as they begin to unravel these dangerous family secrets. I am going to, one thing you have not done any favors for me is because I read in advance reader copy, I didn't listen or anything. Uh, I'm going to butcher all the names in your book here. Just so <laughs> you know. Like that's what, is it Veloxin? Veloxin. Okay. This is kind of funny because in an early draft, I had this idea that it would be hilarious if... Hilarious in a dark satirical way. If this island, the Western world, had sort of started to call it Veloxin because it was named after the pharmaceutical company that the girl's father started. Mm -hmm. um, this was nixed by many people close to me early on as confusing. But um, yes, it is Veloxin. And I really went deep researching all kinds of geographical like issues for volcanic islands and this language that would be based on these romance language roots and even a cuisine it was really <laughs> fun and i probably went too far but it was great um hilarious in a dark and satirical way that should be like your instagram like bio like Sarah Farrick, dark and hilarious, but um, so I love, first off, I mean, I love all this. I love every bit of it. I have lots of things I want to ask you about, but how did, you know, you said you made a fictional island for this. So people who have read your first book, 10th Girl, and if they, they haven't, they should. That was based at least in a real place. That was Patagonia. It was an actual existing place, even though it looks otherworldly, at least from my <laughs> Google searching. I haven't been there quite yet. But um, what made you want to make this a, a fictional place to kind of craft from scratch? Um, so when I was about the age of the characters, so about 17, 18, I discovered a enormous secret about my parents that I'd just never known. I mean, it completely upended my understanding of who they were as people. And it was... It was thrilling, but also completely destabilizing. Um, and it kind of put me into this completely unknown territory where I felt like 
my memories of the past and who, my own identity. It was sort of like something, this, this world that I'd now have to wade through to figure, figure out just who I was in light of this information. And as I was thinking about this book, so much of it is about these two sisters who are discovering themselves and have lived in the shadow of these two parents who are absolutely larger than life. I mean, their mother is a world famous actress. Their father is this pharmaceutical tycoon. Um, and throughout this book, they're learning really big secrets about their parents that forces them to reconsider who they are. And I wanted to set it in a fictional space that would feel both familiar and surreal to readers to basically underscore or I guess play up this, this, this atmosphere that I'm trying to build in the book. Um, it was also just great fun to develop, but I thought that thematically it sort of, it would, it would very quickly place a reader into this, into this feeling that we're going to go on a journey that's going to, that's going to like bring you deeper into yourself, but you're going to have really unexpected surprises come out of it. So in comparing it, and I promise I won't keep comparing White Fox to the 10th Girl, but um, yeah. in comparing the two, you know, Vaccaro School is set, like I said, in Patagonia, it's a real place. Like, did it feel more freeing to be able to create an environment all of your own, or was it a little bit challenging to, you know, you said that, you know, from your travels, you had at least something to kind of base it off of, but did it feel a bit more freeing to be like, oh, I can, like, almost like you said before, like, I could create, like, a cuisine, or, like, an atmosphere, or uh, even, like, a language style, like, did it feel a little bit like you were more able to do something like that than you could with a place that actually exists? I think so. I mean, it was definitely challenging from the perspective of I wanted to make sure that I have all of these historical details right about, like, if this island did exist, what would that mean? Who would have come here? Where would they have come from? You know, what would the, as I mentioned before, like the geography of this volcanic island be like, so on and so forth, um, which, of course, for, for a writer is really fun, too. Um, but it was it was freeing from the perspective of I felt like I could really easily drop into into this fairy tale feel. Mm. You know, it almost feels like an escape from the world we currently live in, which is... <laughs> Tough, bleak. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's challenging sometimes. Yeah. Challenging to face reality. So I feel like it enabled me to sort of speak to these themes without people having to draw immediate comparisons to the world we live in. Mm -hmm. so there was a little more room for like, to explore as a reader and as a writer. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels to me, and this might be projecting, but it feels to me like place is extremely important for you for stories, you know, with like the Vaccaro school was so like gothic and like set the mood so perfectly for the first book. And then like Stoke, is it Stokewood? Yes. Okay. I was say, uh, we're, we're friends. You can correct oh, me when I get it. I know it has some complicated accents on it, but yeah. yes. that was the thing I like. So I was like, is that like an umlaut? Am I supposed to know German? <laughs> um, no, but so, and like so the, this manner that the sisters go back to, and it's like, like the same thing. It's kind of very, um, it has this feel of almost, again, almost like kind of like gothic, like creepy. Like, did you, you know, is that something that comes first for you? Or when you put this story together, was it like the, 
the sister relationship. Like, I feel like this story could have come out of a lot of different places. And I'm curious for you, like what sort of came first? Um, I would say that for White Fox, as it did for the 10th girl, the very, very, very beginning of it all was this atmosphere that I wanted to build and sort of live in for the period during which I worked on the book. Um, the sister relationship came almost immediately after that, though. I knew that was a dynamic I wanted to play out there. But I would say that, I, I don't know if you, did you ever watch the show Sherlock on, uh, yeah, with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? and. Uh-huh. I think there's a piece where he talks about his memory as sort of a mind palace. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I'm exploring memories from that time in my life, it's, it's, it's almost eerie. It's structured like this big overgrown manor house that has rooms full of secrets and some are crumbling and have corners that are ignored and Mm -hmm. others are, you know, proudly on display. Um, so I think that when it comes to better understanding your past and, and sort of getting a better sense of your future, it's, there's something unbelievably compelling to me about setting it in, in a crumbling house, like one of these mind palaces. Um, yeah, that to me is just from, what, from the days that I was reading Shirley Jackson to, you know, that's always been something I love. Or like Slade House. I don't know if you read that, David Mitchell. Mm. That one I haven't, but Trilly Jackson is very on on brand. That makes a whole lot of sense. It's, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely on brand for these two books. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so, did you? We don't need to like, get into family, but like, did you grow up with siblings? I did actually. I have a younger brother. Okay. Um, so, oh, go ahead. I know it's kind of a. It's kind of. I don't even know. I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost nervous to admit sometimes that I don't have a sister, but I've mm-hmm. dreamed for so many years of having a sister, and I have a relationship that I think is somewhat like that with a lot mm-hmm. of my close friends that I've known since I was, you know, four or five. Um, but this is, may come off a bit strange. I don't know. But what I view as a big part of the relationship between these sisters is also... It, the relationship between like, I don't want to call them warring because that's not true, but sort of um, different sides of myself. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that would be kind of fun to explore, fracturing them into two different people. Well, what I like, so I'm the youngest of four. Um, the youngest part should come as no surprise since I'm talkative and always want to be the center <laughs> of attention, which is, you know, co-hosting a podcast is perfect for me. I get <laughs> A long form thing where I just get to talk a lot. It's great. Um, but I love, like, something that I love about their relationship is one, like, they, I don't know, they feel so modern to me in the sense that you, like, they depict themselves one way to the world, but internally they, they can feel differently. And then together there's this, like, mirror, these layers of exactly what I feel with my siblings, where it's like, I do love them fiercely, but sometimes we are at each other's throats, even though we're extremely close. And then at the same time, like, it's almost like this imposter syndrome thing out in the world where, like, I'll see something that they're doing and not feel guilty or jealous, but it's, like, feeling less than by the, but at the same time, again, like, feeling fiercely, this is why I asked you if you had a sibling, because it feels as someone who has several of them, 
it feels like these two make perfect sense for even like you said at the beginning like sisters who quote unquote don't like each other like there's still so many layers to their relationship yeah and i think the reality is we can feel like we have such a strong unshakable sense of self and then interact with a sibling and we're launched back into like this old version of ourselves because of this dynamic i mean mm -hmm. people really people really can change you i mean that dynamic can just come up out of out of nowhere mm -hmm. and really surprising and shocking and i think that that's I wanted to, I wanted to sort of think about how, how destabilizing it is to not speak to a sibling or not have a very close relationship with a sibling and then be thrust back into this, you know, completely life-changing experience with them. Well, and on top of that, like you, exactly what you said about, I, you can be a version of yourself in public. And like I said, I'm, I'm the youngest, so even though I'm 34, I'm always the little brother. I'm always, my mom jokingly, like, my mom will be talking to one of my nieces or nephews to her grandchildren, and she'll be like, this is my baby. And it's like, 34, but I say them, please always think of me that way, mom. I love you, mommy. But, <laughs> like, it is so weird to be, like, you're a professional out in the world. You're, you know, successful doing X, Y, or Z. But then when your siblings see you, I am, like, my oldest sister who has a birthday coming up who's the number I will not say in case she listens I don't want her to yell at me we're going to dinner this weekend she's not gonna let me pay for anything because I'm her little brother it doesn't matter that I'm in my mid-30s it's just how it is so I love that you do have that with these two like when they're off on their own doing their own things it's one version of them but like together it's almost like they fall back into this like catty but knowing yeah. of each other oh something else I want to talk to you about yeah. um you mentioned so you have a ton of different story structures here. You've got like movie scripts and your multiple narrators and flashbacks and newspaper excerpts. Like how did using that like kind of multimedia situation, how did that help you tell the story? And like, how do you think it adds to writing a mystery like this? I've always had a soft spot for books that kind of allow the reader to discover important details on their own. And what I mean by that is it, it kind of takes you out of the main narrative for a second and feels like you yourself are, you know, the amateur detective kind of working out what's going on. Um, I like that sort of, I don't know if you can even call it this, but like breaking that, you know, fourth wall. Mm -hmm. um, and from a craft perspective, I think it's a really fun way to add a lot of layers to a complex story without bogging down, you know, a, a fast paced narrative um, with all of these background details. Um, but yeah, for me, it really came down to, since this is a book about people discovering who they are, I, I found it interesting to, to kind of throw in all of these layers that showed outsiders' opinions of who their mother was, who their father was, who they are supposed to be, and sort of show concretely how much they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis of these outsiders' perspectives. I mean, we all deal with like, okay, I feel like I know who I am, but then as soon as I go on Instagram and post something, I'm getting a comment that may be in direct opposition to what, you know, mm -hmm. my my definition of myself is, and I have to reconcile that. Uh, um, so yeah, for me, it felt, it felt sort of, it felt sort of modern to, to approach it in that way. And 
as a, as a debut author, I mean, I'll be honest, prior to launching my first book, I was basically a ghost on social media. I mean, I love like sliding into friends DMs and being like, did you see this? Like, did you see this news? Did you see this funny thing? Did you see this meme? But I like never posted anything at all. I don't mm-hmm. know. I've always been, I mean, my mom said this. I was like, thanks mom. I've always been more of a voyeur than, than an exhibitionist. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, That's so amazing. For me, it was like totally flipping things on the on their head to have to now maintain this. Not have to. I mean, because there's a lot of fun in it too. But to maintain the social media profile and to just get that feedback every time I post. I mean, it's it's it. It's yeah. It's a bit surreal. It's, it's a bit surreal. It's, this is so interesting to hear you specifically talk about like getting different people's reactions to your social media stuff because I don't think I'm going to keep in the first part where I was telling you about this, but like I, your Instagram stories, you've set them up for both books in such a way where like you have amazing like book trailers and like little teeny hints and things that you put into your stories and then even like the things where because I've noticed that there will be times where and much like everyone else like I don't know where I'll be like oh Sarah's posting an Instagram story I bet this is gonna be fun and it's like you'll go on it especially when we can travel it'll be like you'll be in like Amsterdam or somewhere fun (laughs) and I'm like what's going on and I'm like oh that's a fun hat she's got like I definitely overthink all of your Instagrams please don't look into that but like I it's really interesting yeah what's that I appreciate the hat shout out oh yeah absolutely I'm a listen I'm a I'm a lover of head gear and head paraphernalia as people can't see me I'm literally wearing a headband right now because my hair is down to like my mouth at this point it's sort of like a teal moment it's very aquamarine (laughs) listen a lot has happened since last time we saw each other in person I've grown shaved and grown beards I got a sleeve tattoo over here I've grown my hair out The, the world is different these are all important 2020 you know like sort of check the box on those i seriously i feel like i look like everyone's older brother in like a 1980s like teen (laughs) movie (laughs) i almost just got you to spit your tea out i just got my tea out yeah um but no it is it's interesting that you say that about like seeing people's reactions to the things that you post because of the fact that and you're right like the way people will interact with stuff on social media and it will either like make or ruin someone's day, but you can get like a hundred positive reactions and one negative one will more often than not affect you. But it is interesting to me that you say that because again, like for anyone who doesn't follow you on Instagram, I love the way that you post stuff, especially like related to the books because it's very like teasing. Like I think you do a better job than most people at, understanding how to get people interested in the book, the stories that you're telling. No, I mean, I think there's potential to be really fun on there and to kind of make it feel like a treasure hunt. I mean, that's my aim. Yeah. Um, which is hard when like, you know, the whole point of the platform is sort of to expose things about yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think teasing is probably the right word. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that, I think that's right because it is, it's what you do. Like, before I was seeing the posts that you were doing about this before I was actually almost borderline offended I had to reach out to your publisher and be like hey Sarah has a new book coming out and you guys didn't reach out to me this time how dare you but like I was seeing all of your posts and I was like man I can't wait to read this and I I know other people feel the same way so it just 
I don't know. It, I love the way that you use it. So it's interesting to me that you think that way. Yeah, it's um, a lot of, so parts of this book are actually from the very first book I ever wrote. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the mind palace, you know, decrepit house, sibling relationship, all of that, plus this fairy tale at the core of it. Um, but one big part that evolved over edits with my editor uh, after my debut came out is that piece of dealing with dealing with public versus private persona, mm -hmm. I guess I'd say. Um, and this is going to sound really strange, but it's something that like probably weekly, at least when I'm in promo mode, I am, I'm really conflicted about mm -hmm. because I feel like people, I mean, I tried to convey this in White Fox and both of my characters, but I feel like people are so multifaceted that this idea that you need to convey your, you know, genuine self online when really it's just like a flat 2D depiction of you, that to me just, it's, it's like a paradox that I just can't, Yeah, you know what I mean? Well, and it's also, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people consider social media a little bit toxic is like, you're never really conveying the normal, like if people were to see the real, yeah, like if people were to see the real version of like me, it would be like, 1230 at night and I'm cramming to finish a book because I want to be able to think of questions for an author whereas like the actual thing I'm going to post is that early morning picture where like the sun's rising and there's a book and like a cup of tea and like the lighting's just right and I'm right. like beautiful right. day to write some words it's like hmm, I'm yeah. probably going to close that book before after I take the picture and <laughs> take a no, nap. I guess there's a space for every kind of I, I don't want to use the word exhibitionism because that's, you know, that's not fair. That's a little negative. But did, have you heard of this book called Little Eyes by Samantha Shrublin? No. Um, so she's a really amazing uh, Argentine author who's, she writes adult books um, that are speculative. But so Little Eyes, the idea behind it is that there are these Furby type creatures, Furby type electronics, not yeah. electronics. And what happens is someone buys it and puts it in her home and it connects to a stranger somewhere in the world and that stranger can then like sort of walk around and follow that person in their home but there's not meant to be an actual you know connection between the two of them besides just this voyeur like exhibitionist relationship so there are these people obsessed with just following a person as they go about like their main mundane daily life mm -hmm. um so that's kind of interesting to me, how there are people out there who are good at teasing moments of like, this is just a mundane, like daily moment for me, but it draws you in. Whereas mm -hmm. sometimes you see those mundane daily moments and you're like, this is the most boring thing ever. My eyes are amazing over goodbye. I'm back to watching my reality TV, which is also a version of that. Yeah, that is, that, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, I, I think, I guess like the more I think about, it's so weird. I know that social media and and being a quote unquote very online person yeah. is so addicting because the more I do it, the more it's almost like eating like M and M's. It's like this is hurting my body, but I can't stop doing it. Right. And the more I get away from it, I'm like I don't need this anymore. But and it's funny because for me, the social media thing that I find most addictive is the same as the email thing that I find most addictive, which is if I check this one thing, if I do this one thing, if I DM this one person, like my life will change. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's happened like 
once realistically. Yeah. I don't know. No, who knows? But this idea that like if we're always plugged in, it's just like, you know, the slot machine, like our life will change if we just stay plugged in a little longer. Yeah, I, I mean, I do this and, and then after this we can dive off of social media yeah. since we've now spent 20 minutes talking about it. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm the same way. Like I'll be sitting there at night and I'll finish reading for the night and I'll be like, I'm just going to check one thing on Twitter and then it's a half hour later and I'm staring at a screen and I can't fall asleep. And I'm like, I don't get why I can't fall asleep. What is this thing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I really love, and I can't remember if we talked about this last time we chatted, but so part of the, of White Fox is there's like a movie script that is interspersed within it. And you actually have a ton of movie scripts in here. Do you have experience writing scripts before? Did we talk about this? So it's funny you say that. I have been working on some sort of secret side projects. Nothing that I can, you know, like shout from the rooftops with glee that it's like coming to fruition. Um, but uh, part of what was really fun for this book was incorporating that. And I think that basically I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the movie scripts in it without mm -hmm. any spoilers. But the sisters discover the lost final film script of their mother, this world famous film actress, um, where there's, there's a bit of an urban legend that she's leaving clues as to where she's disappeared to. Um, and so it allowed me to kind of put this fairy tale on the page without it becoming like an active part of the narrative so it, it was like injecting a modern fairy tale which i thought was really it's fun super fun yeah fun to read yeah no and, and it was and i imagine like when you were writing this first off did you write this linearly like so i tend to not do that mm -hmm. to my detriment but i <laughs> I very much have one of those walls in my office area that is, you know, like the serial killer type wall. <gasps> yes, we talked, this is exactly what we talked about. Yeah, yeah. guilty. So not of murdering people, but murdering characters for sure. Um, having these cards that all then like, you know, shuffle around and, um, yeah, so it was, I, I did try to write the, the screenplay straight through and then sort of weave it into the, the book as I saw fit. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, I've never been able to write, like, write something straight through. I think maybe it's because I, I'm drawn to books that have, you know, different, different timelines, different points of view. Mm -hmm. um, but I love that sort of symphonic feeling where a big part of the reading experience is hearing all these different voices mm -hmm. come together and create something bigger than just, you know, each individual one. Well, and not only that, this, first off with yours, I imagine writing the script, like you said, because it's a fairy tale, it's, it's almost like getting to write a different genre within the book that you're doing. Like, I imagine that had to be really fun, but exactly like what you said, I always get frustrated when people will, tell me like they only want to read books that are straight through narratives like give me one plot one timeline and then I I get irritated with them I'm like some of my favorite books are stuff that yes in the first like three or four chapters of a book you might have to figure out 
what's going on. Because, like, honestly, right. this has, I promise I'm, I just am going to keep going back to the 10th book. You know, how much I, you know how much I love that book. But like how it bounces back and forth or like um, Don Kratagich wrote a book called um, Teeth in the Mist. Where it's yeah. Like a, yeah, it's like a Faustian horror that's like three different timelines. And yeah, like for the first like 50 pages, you are seeing like, okay, what's going on? But the, I feel like it's so much more satisfying to read a book like this where you're like, oh, and like you said, it, it's, you see it all come together at the end. It just feels like more fun that way. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I definitely think it's fun from the perspective of a mystery writer as well. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, I mean, that's in, you take, I was reading Agatha Christie books, which I actually hadn't really read any. I started reading a lot at the beginning. I know, I know. Sarah. I know, I know. But I hadn't, I, I mean, listen, I, I watch all the BBC adaptations. I guess I'm a, uh, yeah, I have a TV problem. Um, <laughs> I, so I was reading a lot of them at the beginning of quarantine. And I realized there is, you know, there have been some real masters of like a straight through timeline like that. Mm-hmm. And if you want to sort of reinvent and surprise you know, the next way to do that has to be playing with structure and form. And, and as for me, what's important is like, as long as you are extremely intentional about your, you know, multi POV choice or your structural choice, and it fits and suits all the themes in the book, go for it. You know what I mean? And it's not just for the novelty. Well, and there's also like, I adore Agatha Christie novels and I have talked about them endlessly here, but I feel like those are always almost almost without fail her books are whodunits and yes i would say yours there's some whodunit to it but there's also like how done it and why done it why done it love a good why done it yeah and so exactly what you said like i think people i I think if if you want to tell a mystery yes like you said there are ways to do it straightforward and i think i almost think it's probably (laughs) <laughs> to be a mystery writer who you say like I'm just gonna write an A to B story I, I almost feel like people will probably judge that more harshly to be like oh well you're trying to do Agatha Christie and you're not whereas like if what you're doing with White Fox and like what a lot of mystery writers will do like with the, it, there's no way for them to be like oh Sarah you're trying to be like Agatha Christie because you could be like when did Agatha Christie ever put screenplays into her story like you know there's no ABC right. murder with uh with a movie in the middle <laughs> no I mean you're right and and beyond that, I think that something I find, I don't know, I mean, I, I, you may disagree because you've probably read more of her than I have, but something I find really fascinating about the why done it is it explores sort of the shades of gray in people. Like, I don't believe people to be black and white villain this. I think with a, with a hood on it, you know, it's, we're not necessarily exploring the psyche you know of the individual who committed this crime or mm-hmm. whatever it may be um sure we're you know thinking about motive and so on but yeah i think i think i mean if i could write a version of a why done it forever whatever genre you know you kind of want to like box that into yeah i i think you're i think the biggest like i said agatha christie books i think the crux of them is who done it and then i think the um, like the how done it in agatha christie books is more not like how did the murderer get away with it it's how did Hercule Poirot figure it out you know what I mean where it's like don't get me wrong I love them yeah yeah it's like that crescendo at the end where he does the big reveal where he's like and voila absolutely yeah that's like the power moment yeah yeah 
Um, has, so have you, you mentioned reading a bunch of those at the beginning of quarantine. Like, are you, Jill and I, we've been joking endlessly for the, you know, billion months that we've all been sitting at home, Zoom it, podcasting for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. For a long time, she she was like leaning in to pandemic reads and stuff like that, and and oh, I like, like in like we're talking Station Eleven type stuff. Yeah. Okay. Speaking. Wow. Of, um, That's I, a- yeah. I, she's she was better at that than I would, and like people would recommend books to us, and they'd be like, "Give us some pandemic recommendations," and I'd be like, "No." <laughs> But what have you been reading? Like other than like, like you said, the murder mystery stuff. Like, what have you been reading during the pandemic that you've really been enjoying? Oh wow! Um, I've been reading all over the place. I recently okay. One category that for me is like evergreen is the reading the book equivalent of staring at nature. And what I mean by that is stuff that's sort of calming and centering and gives you a greater perspective. In other words, takes you out of yourself, takes you out of like, you know, the emotional journey of one character and kind mm-hmm. of back out. So um, I loved, I mean, I'm probably going to name some adult ones now, but yeah, let's I do this loved, um, I've been completely obsessed with Ali Smith's seasonal quartet. So it starts with this book, Autumn. Mm-hmm. And she does something really interesting. They're kind of enraging, but also completely sublime and calming in that way that I said she weaves in the stories of sort of historical female artists um, with these contemporary narratives that show sort of like the, the the some of the damage in the modern world I mean she talks about Brexit she talks about all sorts of you know like the immigration crisis everything going on mm-hmm. in the UK um, and they just have like such a meditative quality Mm-hmm. Um, also there's this, I'm completely blanking on the name, but that, that Pulitzer Prize winning book, um, oh my gosh, why do I always blank that it's about, I'm going to say it's about trees. It's, what is wrong with me? Trees, um, a walk in the woods. Is that's why I keep looking. Um, his name is Richard. Just go. Yeah, just go. Yeah, just, this is, this is the funny about being on Zoom. Three Pulitzer, oh my God. The Overstory by Richard Powers. So that's, I feel like that's one of those books that a lot of people like bought and were like, oh, I'm so excited to read this. And then just never, Mm -hmm. but I really recommend it as a read for this time period. It's it's sort of this this narrative that has the structure of a tree in a weird way. Mm -hmm. So it branches out and it has all of these micro stories of families in the United States and sort of their relationship with nature and then becomes something else entirely, this like environmental, almost thriller. Anyway, um, and what else have I been loving recently? I mean, I loved Burn Our Bodies Down. I love Rory's work. Yeah. I, I actually, this was very distracting because you know how I said like a little thing blinged in the corner of my screen because uh-huh. I'm proficient. Um, she was like, can I send you something new to read? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and oh, like, I just, no, no, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I'm actually I'm doing the same thing. I'm looking at a bookshelf in front of me, trying to like think of things to suggest to you. But no, what were you, what were you gonna say? What were you gonna say? I appreciate you. Um, I've also been reading a lot of international fiction in translation. So, um, like there was this amazing Nieko Kawakami 
sort of book of novellas called Breasts and Eggs, which I kind of think is an, one of the most amazing titles. That's fantastic. But, um, kind of about like a contemporary woman's experience in Japan. Um, yeah, for some reason, whatever just will take me out of my head and and sort of expand my view of the world, that's mm -hmm. really helpful right now. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I will say, um, just because it's top of mind, because I, like I said, I, a long time ago when we started talking, I mm -hmm. mentioned, I, I talked to Victoria Schwab earlier this week yes. when we're recording, which it will She's come out. It. Yeah, but she has a new book coming out called The Invisible Life of Addie. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for it. So I think you'll love it as one. I feel like I, I feel like you are my most world travely friend. Um, <laughs> and this book is about, it, it took her 10 years to write, but it feels very prescient because it's about this woman, Addie LaRue, who makes this kind of Faustian deal where she makes a deal with, for what lack of a better terms in the book is the devil. Yeah. And she can live forever. And she will never, quote unquote, belong to anyone. But what the trick is that the devil's like, well, yeah, you'll never belong to anyone. But what ends up happening is no one can ever remember her. So like she'll have a conversation and close the door. And then that person never remembers Ooh. her. And, yeah. and on top of everything else, she's immortal, basically. So she, it bounces back and forth between when she was born in France and modern-ish day in New York City. And it's like trying to show how she's seeing the world and how she's trying to overcome this like complete loneliness, but it travels all around the world, which again is the Sarah Faring part in my brain. <laughs> um, but it's also like, even though it took Victoria, she said about a decade to write this, like it feels so quarantine-esque right. because right. I feel like even though I have Zoom and because of Zoom, I'm, a I'm able to interact with people more easily yeah. This week alone, I talked to Victoria. She's in France. I talked to you right now. You're in New York City. I'm in Cleveland. But at the same time, like I've never felt more alone. You know what I mean? Like I know completely what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's it's so so good. Um, and then Alex Harrow has a book called The Once and Future Witches. Oh my gosh, that's another one. I'm yes, I'm extremely excited. This is a good. I mean, that's coming out pretty soon, right? Yeah, no. that's coming out. It's either end of September oh, or just beginning of October. It's soon. Fall. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But this yeah, it's it's really, really good. It's um, it's like three sisters who are witches who are fighting for the women's right to vote, and it's just amazing. It's amazing. So yeah. Um, I have like one or two more questions for you. What was the most challenging part for you to write White Fox? Like what? was something maybe you weren't expecting being so challenging or like what made you think the most? Yeah. Um, I think what was the most challenging was really in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm, I'm almost uneasy about talking about this because it was so difficult, but to really dig into the meat of grief, um, which is something I've, come to understand so much more about in the past couple of years because of things in my family, but also in the past year, frankly, since quarantine started, because I feel like we're all experiencing these waves of like, you know, communal grief. Um, yeah, to really dig into the meat of that and not just avoid it and numb myself and distract myself, that was 
that was very challenging, but I think it sort of reached, it, it's, there's some of the most compelling and heartfelt moments of the book. Like there's a part where one of my characters is kind of, she expresses a short story, expresses a short story. She, <laughs> goodbye, Brian. Um, she's talking about the loss of her dad and one of the customs, um, one of the burial customs in the island and her sister's reaction and how their reactions really differed and how we can never predict how we'll react nor how someone we really love will react. Um, and to, to watch that knowledge settle over someone in the same way it settled over me, I mean, that was, yeah. Did it, even though it was challenging, did it feel kind of cathartic to put it on the, like, on the page? Absolutely, yeah. And, and I know we've talked about this before, but what I aim to do with all of my books is to explore, you know, with humor and some of the darkest parts of life, but always end on this hopeful note that I don't find it all, I don't find it all unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like it's a, one of the best things about life is our uniquely human ability to have hope, even though on some level we know that it's irrational because we have no control. Mm -hmm. Wow, it got dark. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a, um, I, I think it's, it's, I think we probably all noticed on some level this year, I mean, we're several months into quarantine, that, um, you know, the waves of grief, they, they change, and they hit us in different ways, and they hit at a different pace, and we can never predict, you know, how we'll feel it next, but it does, it does evolve in unexpected ways. Awesome. How do, what do you, um, okay, last, like, last question for you. What do you, is that sort of what you hope readers take away or is there sort of a message that you hope people take away when they kind of close that last page of White Fox and be like, okay, I'm going to sit with this for a minute. Like, what do you hope they sort of think about? I mean, on the surface, I would love for people to just experience this as an eerie confection, as an escape from this moment. Um, but what I really hope people take away is this idea that we should really love our contradictions and we should understand that we're constantly evolving and our relationships with other people and our relationships with our own losses, those are both constantly evolving. Um, and at the end of the day, anyone who's felt hopeless to just to just feel like if you've once felt hope you'll feel it again um and that'll be enough to carry you through readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace professional book nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program to learn about other evergreen podcasts visit evergreenpodcasts.com our podcast is produced recorded and edited by adam sokol and jill grunewald and presented by overdrive for more information visit professionalbooknerds.com My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. 
and then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.